Well, good morning, Ocean View and Ocean View Online. Good to uh, be together this morning. During the month of May, we've been looking at biblical characters who were fearless. So that is the title of our, our theme, Fearless. We all come up against situations in our daily lives that demand a certain amount of courage, uh, a little or a lot. We want to learn from these Bible stories, even though they might have been written and uh, happened 3,000 years ago. Their examples can help us today because we have the same God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will be with us the same way he was with those fearless people, heroes of faith years ago. Now, our first week, we looked at Benaiah. It was a short story but had big implications in our lives. Benaiah chased a lion, which made us think about chasing lions in our own lives, circumstances that are attacking us or areas that God is challenging us to step into. We learned if you want to be a lion chaser, you need to realize that the bigger your God is, the smaller the lions become. And then also, number two, lion chasers understand that playing it safe is risky. In doing life with Jesus, we have to take faith risks. In the kingdom of God, we find that we have to trust God all the time. And that takes faith. We can't always play it safe. Sometimes we have to take faith risks, chasing lions like Benaiah. Last week, we looked at a story in the days of the judges. That was the time between Moses coming out of Egypt and uh, King David. You have the time of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It led to a very chaotic society where right and wrong became very confused, and the people of Israel began ignoring God and worshiping idols. The Israelites were being harassed and mistreated by neighboring countries And then the people would come back to God and pray for his deliverance. In one of those instances, God sent them Deborah, the busy bee. That's what the name means in Hebrew. She was a prophet who became both a political leader and a military advisor. And the word of the Lord came to her. It was time to throw off the shackles of oppression. And he said, get Barak to lead a small army to push out the invaders. But Commander Barak seems to lack confidence. God had chosen him, so had Deborah. 10,000 warriors followed him, but he was against a superior Canaanite force. So he says to Deborah, if you go with me, I will go. We can be fearless in facing the oppressors of our day, but sometimes you will need a friend to travel the road with you. And sometimes as a follower of Jesus, you may be the one to travel the journey with someone else. So today, we move from Deborah, we move to Jonathan. He is our third Bible hero. He's a young man, Prince Jonathan, actually. He was the son of a king, the very first king of Israel, King Saul. So Jonathan's story this morning is found in 1 Samuel 14 and 15. If you have your phones or your Bibles, you can turn there, but I will reference uh, chapters 14 and 15. Now, as we lead into our topic this morning... Uh, Let me take you back three years, 2020. Do you remember back then, the middle of March, things started getting serious about COVID-19. Rumors are spreading. Things are starting to shut down. Self-isolating and social distancing are becoming regular words that we had never heard of before, but now are commonplace. Stockpiling, hoarding are issues. Like, how much toilet paper can you really use? 
How do you respond to crisis situations? It, it will often be one of two ways. Uh, one, some people will make a run on it, like they will bring stuff into their house, they will stock their own cupboards, they will take care of themselves and not look out for anybody else. Toilet paper, cleaning supplies, canned goods, flour, sugar. Now, on the other hand, there is another mentality that says, okay, we need to take this seriously, we need to get our family and stuff in order, but there's a community feel, because we're all going through the same thing. Hey, we're all in this together, let's lock arms, let's do this thing together. You know, it's amazing how people can respond in radically different ways to the same storm, the same opposition, the same challenge that we all face. Whether it's COVID-19, hurricanes on the East Coast every fall, flooding in the Midwest, wildfires in the dry interiors of BC, Alberta, California. It is that fear of running out. I remember the big snow of 1996. Three feet of snow fell in one night on the South Island and it shut down like everything. There was no power, there were no roads. And I remember our neighborhood, we began to look out for each other, digging everybody out of their driveways, getting their vehicles going, making sure everybody had some sort of heat, some sort of survival uh, those days just after Christmas. When you're driving your car, what do you do when there's that warning light, you are low on gas? You don't drive two or three more days because, hey, there's, just, there's still some in there. Or maybe you're the type that fill up at the quarter of a tank. Why risk it? I remember in our honeymoon on the Oregon coast, we went to Disneyland. That's 46 years ago this July. Uh, we were taking the I-5 out of San Diego, like we had enough of the south and all of that heat and everything. So we were in San Diego and said, Let, let's just drive and get home. Take a day or two and we'll just drive straight all the way to Vancouver. Well, we got to Northern California. It's kind of barren in those days. It's not anymore, but there was like nothing in the desert. Our gas was low, but I thought, hey, it's California. There should be gas stations. Well, we started in the desert area, and in the desert area in those days, it was 50 miles between gas stations. And you drive 50 miles, and there's a gas station and a McDonald's. And then you drive another 50 miles, and there's a gas station and McDonald's. And so we drove thinking there's a gas station and we just crept into that McDonald's gas station on fumes. The fear of running out. Running out of gas or running out of other things. This morning we want to confront the fear of running out. The fear of not measuring up. The fear of coming up short. The fear of not enough. It was one of the biggest storms in the history of the nation of Israel, and it's found in the book of 1 Samuel. The Philistines, these massive, godless, ruthless men, hated the nation of Israel, and they hated their God. They had positioned themselves to attack Israel. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and numerous soldiers with iron weapons. This was the, the, the move from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. And the Israelites still had bronze tools and weapons. They didn't have iron. Iron was a secret weapon. It was top secret. Only the Philistines had blacksmiths to forge iron weapons. And they were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now Israel had a couple of leaders that faced that challenge. One of them, though, proved himself to be fearless. 
All through 1 Samuel, we're told of the continuing war that Israel was fighting versus the Philistines and the Amalekites. They had two important leaders in the early stages of this battle. One was King Saul. He was the first king in Israel since the time of the judges. We studied Deborah. We heard about Gideon, Samson. That's the time of the judges. And Saul is the first king. Saul's oldest son is Prince Jonathan. What is interesting is their response to the opposition is vastly different. There's two ways of looking at it. In a nutshell, let me put it this way. King Saul lived his life out of a mindset of scarcity. The fear of running out. The fear that there's never enough. While Jonathan lived his life out of a mindset of abundance. In his world, there was more than enough. And not only was there more than enough, he was more than enough. Now, abundance is a word that we hear about, and it's something that we can probably track with. We recognize that word. But what's this scarcity? Scarcity is rooted in the fear that there is never enough. How does that play out in our world? There's not enough money. Dad, it's ice cream day. I need $1.50. Hey, it's Tuesday. It's book fair day, Mom. I need $6. And I remember my mom saying to me, Son, money doesn't grow on trees. I grew up in a family that reinforced the idea that there is not enough financial resources. Now, for some people, it's not just money. Sometimes there's not enough time. Hey, you have a long day of work, and there's dishes to do, and then there's a baseball game to go to, and then we got to pay the bills, and we want to go golfing. Oh, man, there's church ministry and church services. There is just not enough hours in the day. There is not enough. For other families, there's not enough love. Maybe it's a dysfunctional home. Maybe you've grown up in foster care. Maybe a person is always looking for love. And then when someone is really nice to them, man, they just latch on, and some people are always grasping for love and acceptance. Scarcity. There's just not enough. We live in a world that often leads with a mindset of scarcity. As I've uh, always put it, it's scare city. You really have to fight in order not to be drawn into that fear. Just watch how it comes across in the nightly news. The news is rooted in the fear that there is not enough. Evaluate the commercials that you are bombarded with every day. You don't have enough. You're missing out. You need this upgrade. There is never enough what? whatever is of value to you. In a world of scarcity, there is a limited supply, not enough to go around. We are in a world of not enough. There is not enough water. There is not enough oil. There is not enough energy. There is not enough land. There is not enough food. There is not enough air. There is not enough freedom. So let's look at how this scarcity plays out in King Saul's life. God has directed the prophet Samuel to tell King Saul to deal with the enemy problem. Chapter 15, verse 3, he says to Saul, Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. God spoke to Saul specifically through the prophet Samuel. The surrounding Amalekite population were particularly evil, 
And God says it's time to deal with them. Destroy them. It's pretty clear. Treat it like a sacrifice. Everything is dedicated to God. Don't keep anything. Well, we have the results of that in verse 7 and 9. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. See, there was a but there. Samuel, Saul did it, but in Saul's world, there's not enough. Why destroy everything? Hey, it's good stuff. When you live out a mindset of scarcity, when an opportunity presents itself, even if it's questionable, I don't know if it will present itself again. I'm going to go for it and grab it. It's the fear of the last chance. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 9, Samuel, it says, These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Hey, God, you can have the weak and the lame. I'm going to keep the healthy lamb for myself. We'll give God the used furniture, and we'll buy new stuff for ourselves. What is it for you that you can't risk letting go of? Could be something different for everybody. Uh, similar to our illustration this morning of the vase, uh, there's a legend in India. Poachers of monkeys would uh, put a tie a coconut to the tree, and there would be a hole in the coconut. And they'd fill it with rice, and the monkeys would smell rice and oil, and they would squeeze their hand in the hole and grab the rice, and then they would be caught because they couldn't get their hand out. White-knuckled fist, for fear that we will not get another chance, we become a prisoner to that that we're holding on to. What can't you risk losing? Maybe it's people's approval, because in your life, affection is in short supply. Maybe it's uh, dysfunctional relationships. You hold on as tightly as you can because you don't believe that God will give you something better. Maybe you hold under control. You manipulate every circumstance. No one can do it better than me. I've got to do it all. Really, you don't believe that God is trustworthy. You really don't believe that people in your circle can do a good job. And it makes everybody miserable. What is your rice? Maybe it's money. If you make over $35,000 a year, you are in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you are over $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1%. There's not enough. There's always one more thing that I need. Saul could have had anything that he wanted, whenever he wanted, but he had a mindset of scarcity. What you have is irrelevant to what you think you need. The moment that we invite Christ to invade our lives and to forgive us, we become his child. And the economics of everything changes. Less becomes more. The greatest are the servants. The first will be last, and the last will be first. So we're challenged to stop living like Saul and start living like Jonathan. Living out of abundance starts with three simple things. Number one, knowing God as our unlimited supply. 
Not just with your mind, but with your lifestyle. God is my unlimited supply. Number two, we know who I am. We are God's child. We are valuable. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Number three, we know what God can do through me. Prince Jonathan was King Saul's firstborn son, and he intimately knows God. He knows exactly who he is and what God created him to do. In the second battle with the Philistine army, there are thousands of enemy soldiers just ready to attack Israel. King Saul, his dad, is hiding under a pomegranate tree. He's got a lot to lose, and he can't risk going into battle for fear that he's going to lose everything. Jonathan is tired of watching his dad do nothing. Saul is able-bodied. He has an army behind him. He has the priesthood behind him. He has the political influence. But King Saul is waiting under the pomegranate tree. Jonathan gets restless, and so he says this in verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows, those Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether it be by many or by few. I'm sick of watching people do nothing in the midst of adversity. So... Let's go pick a fight. Maybe God will help, maybe he won't. But I'm not going to sit here and do nothing anymore. Let's go pick a fight, and perhaps God will show up. It was the Micmac Pass. There were two large cliffs, and there was an enemy outpost on the top, and it was a place that people had to pass through, and so they were kind of guarding that. So Prince Jonathan, his bodyguard, they head over there, just the two of them, and the plan was this. We are going to step out and show ourselves. If those guys say, wait, we'll come down to you, then we're just going to stay put. But if they say, hey, come on up to us, that's God's signal to go for it. So they peeked around the corner, showed themselves, and the enemy says, hey, the Hebrews are crawling out of their hidey holes. Come on up to us. We'll teach you a lesson. Well, check out what Jonathan and his armor bearer do. They storm a sea of soldiers, just the two guys. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Jonathan lived out of abundance. He recognized who God is and what we have as a child of God. He picked, you pick risky fights. They've got nothing to lose. Everything is in God. Every resource God has is yours as his child. What do you have to lose? Maybe it seems to be an unwinnable fight, but let's pick a fight because God will help. Some of us need to pick fights. Financially, maybe we need to pick a fight. Perhaps God will help. That might mean giving instead of hoarding. Maybe you have a marriage that's struggling. Maybe you need to pick a fight with yourself. Not with your spouse, but with yourself. And pray that God will humble you and humble your spouse. Maybe there are relationships that are destroyed in your life. And you need to pray for God's best for somebody that's betrayed you. Perhaps the ground will shake and God will do what you cannot. Parents, maybe you've got a child running away from you, running away from God. Pick a fight against your spiritual enemy. 
He wants to keep your child in bondage and miserable. So pray today and tomorrow and every day. Pick a fight against Satan and maybe the ground in their life will shake. Picking a fight. Living our lives out of abundance. Knowing who God is and what we have in Him. Not only do we need to pick risky fights for God, but we need to live recklessly, selfless lives. In in this story, it's not what we read, but what we didn't read. Nothing was done or said that benefited Jonathan. He was heir to the king of Israel. Yet later, when God anoints a teenager named David to be king, Jonathan didn't say a word. He didn't say, hey, what? You're anointing David? This is my spot. This is my job. This is my land. This is my castle. Those are my cows. He said, David, I'm giving my life to your service. His father is playing it safe under a pomegranate tree, not attacking. Jonathan goes to risk his life. It's about God, not about him. Jesus says in Mark 8, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? When you know who you are in Jesus, you don't have to live your lives to get something back. Living in the kingdom of God, you already have and are everything in Christ. There's nothing else to gain. You can afford to live out of abundance. You're going to pick risky fights and live recklessly selfless lives. There's a story about a little girl. Her name was Cindy, and she lived in Austin, Texas. Her dad worked in the family business, which was a donut shop. And Cindy's friends would always fight on Friday nights over who was going to go and spend the night at Cindy's house because they knew Saturday morning was coming and we're going to go to the donut shop. And Cindy loved bringing somebody that had never been to the donut shop before. Saturday mornings they would go and they would go down to the donut shop and they'd look in the display. Cindy, can I have a sprinkly donut? Absolutely, absolutely you can. What about a chocolate-covered or jelly-filled? Can I have one of those? You know what, Cindy would say? You can have whatever you want. In fact, you can have as much as you want. And the new kid would always say, how can you afford that? And Cindy would reply, my daddy makes the donuts. There's more than enough because my daddy makes the donuts. Somebody might say, how could you leave that career to go to that country to tell people about Jesus? My daddy makes the donuts, and there's really more than enough. Hey, you gave money to start a new church in another city. Are you crazy? My daddy makes the donuts, and in his world, there's more than enough. Money may not grow on trees, but my daddy made the trees, and so I think that's pretty good, too. Maybe you're like Sharon in this next video. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody violated you. And somebody's going to ask you, how could you forgive so freely? And your response is pretty simple. My daddy makes the donuts. There's more than enough forgiveness to go around. Watch about Sharon. And July 12, 1996. was um, the day I believe that God started his um, long journey with me. 
using um, an acquaintance that I met in my addiction um, to um, rob Sharon Browning's house. She drove up on me and um, I was had the contents of her house in the backseat of a car that I acquired. The judge that I went in front of was not a um, it was not a likable judge, and uh, he threw a real stiff sentence at me, and um, Sharon uh, went to court for me uh, on my behalf. The first reaction was the normal reaction, to really be um, very angry over the situation, very violated, um, very insecure. We have a handicapped son that uh, his name is Matthew, and he was the one, even mentally and physically handicapped, that he was the one that um, a few days after it happened had said, we need to pray for the bad guys. That was a dagger to the heart, but it was something that I needed to hear. Just before she was sentenced to jail, we were able to uh, take her out for dinner. Um, that was around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. After I got out of um, the drug farm and I went to a halfway house, um, Sharon and Dave bought me a car. You just don't hear about um, redemptive stories like this. I don't. I, I read about them, but just, I don't know, I just never thought I would be one of those people. It was totally a risk to be praying for you first and then willing to go into that courtroom, which became a scary thing, to go into that jail. I didn't know if you would be receptive to what we were willing to do and, and willing to be a part of the process God wanted to do in your life, but I didn't know that. Just through the God's um, forgiveness and His grace, was I able to really feel that I was a, a worthy person. I minister out on the streets with the prostitutes, uh, the drug addicts. Um, God uses me where normal people can't go. The, the various risks that were taken, worth every bit of it. I just want to be a simple person and um, let God use me since it's not about me anymore. Never really was, but I thought it was. It's not about me anymore, it never really was what I thought it was. When we begin to live kingdom lives, knowing who God is and who we are in Him, not only will we be changed, but the world around us will be changed. You want to be experiencing life that Jesus died to give you. And you begin to realize the overwhelming abundance of what He has to give you. The opposite is to hold on to something so tight that you're kind of imprisoned to it scarcity. It might be a relationship, uh, it could be the next thing, could be a burden, could be control. What is hindering you from experience the rich abundance of living free, knowing who you are and what God has created you to do? In Philippians 4, Paul says, you can be sure that God will take care of everything you need, his generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. Our God and Father abounds in glory that just pours out into eternity. Yes. Amen. I'm going to ask Richard to come and to pray for us.